Hello and welcome to Two Guys and Some Data Podcast. Uh, this is the show where we tell you how to use data to actually make money. I'm Larry Cavanaugh. And I'm Alan Abbott. And today we're going to talk about an interesting topic, uh, which is do people really want to be marketed to? And if they do, how can data actually help you figure out what people really want? And how do you get that data? And how do you deploy it? Uh, and can this really work? So if you ask folks the question, if you go up to 100 people on the street and say, do you like to be marketed to? Uh, 99 of them will likely say no. And the one who says yes is probably in the advertising business and is just curious. So think about how many times you've been asked the question uh, when you're interacting online with, on someone's website. Uh, would you like to receive emails uh, telling you about events and promotions? And I know when I see those, I say no, um, probably 100 out of 100 times. And I'm not alone. So 90% of people skip the ads that appear before videos online. Uh, almost 90% of DVR users fast forward through the commercials. Uh, and the average person can't even remember five ads that they've seen in the previous week. So digital marketers are going to lose as much as $27 billion by the end of 2020 due to all the ad avoidance that's taking place, uh, including ad blockers. So do people want to be marketed to? It certainly doesn't look that way. Uh, so when people do say yes, why, why do they say yes? And for me, uh, it's really only if I get something that just is really interesting to me. For example, I am a single malt scotch uh, drinker. And if I get an email from the Pennsylvania State Store, they still have state stores in Pennsylvania, uh, that I frequent saying, would you like to be notified when we get a new shipment of single malt scotch from the Isla region of Scotland? I would absolutely say yes. Uh, but the generic stuff just doesn't work for me. Alan, I've got kind of a different uh, take on it. I'm coming at it from a different direction. You know, I agree, of course, you know, if you ask people do they want to be marketed to, they'll say, heck no. Uh, but I look at it from really sort of the businesses' side. I mean, businesses have to, you know, get their word out. They've got to find new customers. They've got to get existing customers to come back to them. And uh, what I'm really looking at is sort of like what is their opportunity to advertise to customers today? And you kind of got into a little bit of, uh, you kind of hinted at what's going on with the advertiser's opportunity. You know, you go way back in time. Uh, you know, the you know, dawn of the 1900s, uh, there was really just catalogs. Actually, direct mail was really sort of the first outside of, you know, uh, um, you know, traveling salespeople. Direct mail was sort of like the first form, that big old Sears catalog was the first form of advertising. Then radio came along. And all of a sudden, there were a lot more opportunities for advertisers to uh, expose people to their products. Then TV came along the number of opportunities increased once again, uh, much more opportunities to advertise. Then TV channels you know, exploded into, you know, instead of the three networks, into hundreds of networks, and the number of opportunities exploded again. Then the internet came along, and the number of impressions, the number of opportunities has continued to explode. And so uh, throughout, you know, up until about 10 years ago, it looked like the opportunities for business to advertise were only going one direction, but that's changed. Uh, in the last 10 years, although there's still a lot of opportunities to advertise, I mean, as you point out, things like DVR uh, have reduced the opportunity to advertise uh, on TVs. 
Things like um, streaming services, paid content streaming services, you know, uh, Netflix, you know, Hulu commercial free, again, is reducing the number of ad opportunities. Uh, Spotify uh, reduces the number of radio opportunities. Ad blockers, reducing the number of opportunities for digital ads to get across. And so, the, you know, I think the, the, the big change that marketers need to be aware of is sort of this shrinking inventory of opportunities. Now, what does that mean? Uh, I, I think that means that uh, advertisers have really got to think about how do I make the most of those opportunities that are left. So, uh, and I'll get into that in a minute, but uh, before we do any more, Alan, let's do our trivia question. Uh, I think it's your turn to uh, ask me a question, so, uh, so what do you got? So I have a really appropriate one given the topic today. Uh, so we've been talking a bit about ad blocking, uh, but what a lot of people don't realize is there are a lot of ads that don't get seen, not because the users are uh, using ad blocking software, but because Google finds them really objectionable and they remove them from the AdSense network. So my question for you is, how many unique ads did Google block? in the year 2016. That's a really good one, and I, off the top of my head, don't have any ideas. So let me think about that. Okay, very good. Uh, so how can we deliver advertising to consumers that they'll welcome? Uh, and you know, let's go back to the single malt scotch example. Uh, it's so much more compelling than a generic you know, sign up for our email message. And when that new shipment arrives, the uh, advertiser has a lot of options in terms of how to to communicate with, you know, with me. So you know, email would be people's, you know, most advertisers' first choice would be, okay, we're gonna send them an email, you know, the new shipment's in, here's what it is, and uh, you can't take 10% off unless the state has decided they're advertising that product this week. Um, I may, I'm gonna continue to rail against the state of Pennsylvania's uh, liquor policy. Uh, but you can also send direct mail. So direct mail is, is more responsive than email. And from a, vi you know, a visual standpoint, a storytelling standpoint, it is so much more powerful. Now, if you also take into account uh, that millennials, uh, and everyone wants to market to millennials, and we, we did a, a podcast about that a while back, uh, they block more digital ads than anyone else, and that's not a surprise. Uh, and they're also mo the most receptive group to individualized advertising. So if you, if you put that together, the, you know, the question becomes, uh, how do we give those folks, how do we give the millennials, and people like me, how do, you, how do we give them something of value? Larry, what do you think? Well, I, I think you're right on, and I think it really gets down to what is the message. It's got to be a compelling message. It's got to be a relevant message. Um, they do have to get it, you know, if it's a if it's a uh, compelling, relevant message that you're trying to deliver through digital display advertising and they're blocking the pop-up, they're not going to get it. But But to me, I think it gets back to starting with how do you create that message that is what someone is really interested in, that gets to their interests. And Alan, I mean, you know, you're talking about scotch, and it sounds like you really like scotch and maybe you really don't like the state of Pennsylvania's rules about selling scotch. There is a solution for that, but, you know, you could just move, but that's okay. Uh, but, you know, your interest in scotch may extend beyond just buying a bottle to drink. You know, if I know that you're interested in scotch, you know, maybe you could... Uh, Maybe you might be interested in taking a trip to visit Scotland and visit some distilleries there. You know, there's there's more things you can do with that interest. There's more uh, opportunities to advertise to you. But the key is knowing that that's your that that is your interest. Um, you know, in the you know in the past, you know, when you go back to the radio and the TV of the past, a lot of those decisions of uh, 
what are the audiences to market to and what should we market were made based on things like how old are you, what's your income, where do you live? And in today's world, that just doesn't cut it. You gotta get to what people are actually interested in and then craft advertising around that. Uh, now, fortunately, whereas you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it was pretty hard to figure out what someone's interests are, there's a lot more data available today. It's something that's much more, um, something that you can actually find out. Uh, so what do you think? Uh, well, first of all, that trip to Scotland to visit the distiller distilleries is definitely on the bucket list. <laughs> of so course, of course that it is. is. That is going to happen. Uh, uh, so yeah, you know the the the, the data uh, is available to drive all of these things and all these communications with consumers and uh, you know how do you get to that single view? I mean that's a question that you know we've we've discussed uh, in in other conversations. Uh, but the real key you have to identify them across devices and and Larry mentioned last time that uh, using mobile phone number to be able to do that is is really the key to making that happen. Uh, and every little bit of information you have can uh, help you determine whether that person is just interested in buying a bottle of scotch or whether they're interested perhaps in taking that trip to, to Scotland. And I'll, I'll use a, a similar example. Uh, in addition to being a scotch drinker, I'm a tea drinker. And I brew my own tea at home. I don't use tea bags. And I have a collection a small collection of uh, cast iron Japanese teapots. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you if you look at two customers online, and you know maybe you're selling tea as your only offer or part of your offer, they could look identical based on their purchase history. They both bought, uh, you know, four ounces of Irish breakfast tea and four ounces of Darjeeling, and you know, they look to be exactly the same. But if you really look at how they're behaving on your website and if you can tap into what they're doing on social media, you may find out that, you know, one of them really just wanted to buy tea and that's all they wanted and that's all they're ever gonna get. Uh, but you could find out that someone like me is actually interested in Japanese cast iron teapots, which are not inexpensive. And uh, that's enough of a hint for you know, a, an advertiser to get out there and say, okay, how do we get this guy to the point where he'll buy another one of those from us instead of just you know buying tea for twenty dollars every you know every couple months? Uh, you know, also uh, you know, in in terms of understanding your customers and you know what they want and when they want it, uh, uh, in addition to you know capturing the data and uh, getting that single view and matching cross devices, you know, the, the data analytics part of it is, is becoming more and more critical. And what we've learned at Navistone is the ability to take that data and make decisions about who is ready to purchase and what they might be ready to buy is, is really one of the key components of, of uh, what we do. Uh, so, you know, if you don't know who you're marketing to, you'll never get them to listen to your message, that's uh, pretty sure. Um, so. Uh, Larry, what do you think about that? Well, so I think, I, you know, I think you're right on that, um, you know, in Navistone, we are, people are using our data pretty well right now to figure out where someone is in the path to purchase. But I think actually as, a, as an industry where we're headed, uh, it's actually going to take a lot more advantage of that uh, interest type of data, you know, the, in your black tea example. Uh, my guess is you probably would have looked at more than just English black tea. You probably looked at like 50 different black teas 
And that's probably giving uh, you know, someone a clue that you're a very different kind of tea drinker than the, someone, uh, than the person who just went straight to the English black tea and purchased that and left. Uh, and and uh, it's really sort of understanding, you know, using the data to understand not just where someone is in their path to purchase, uh, but what they like. And I, and I think where this is all headed, uh, and Alan, I know, uh, you know, because I know your uh, favorite, one of your favorite TV shows, I know you'll be excited to hear this. I think this is all headed uh, to a place where the creative that we actually send to people becomes way more important again. Uh, you know, I know Mad Men is one of your favorite shows, and uh, and certainly a lot of what they talked about in terms of how you uh, uh, craft a message to appeal to a particular group, uh, I think that is where we're going to come back to. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, ironically, I think if you look at what's been happening in some of the political campaigns, we're already seeing signs uh, that that kind of micro-targeting with messaging is um, is happening. Uh, there's a, uh, a, a story that was reported, I think it was in the BBC News, I think it was also on a documentary, uh, around the Brexit campaign, where people who were, were the, the group that was trying to um, uh, encourage people to vote for Brexit, uh, micro-targeted uh, fishermen in uh, a certain part of England and delivered through Facebook uh, a message to them saying, hey, you know, if uh, we vote to leave the EU, we'll get to control our fishing regulations and our seas more effectively. And they did this not just to the fishermen, but they did this all over the place. And that's where you're combining that creative, the marketing message that's really going to impact somebody with that audience targeting. Uh, ultimately, I think that's, uh, that's where we're all headed. Uh, but, you know, of course, your ads have to be seen in order for this to actually work, uh, which brings me back around to uh, your trivia question about uh, Google shutting down ads before they reach consumers. Uh, of course, good, good segue, Larry. And so what do you think? How many ads were blocked by Google last year? Well, like I said, I have, I have no idea. And so I'm, I'm a little bit torn uh, in terms of thinking it must be a small number because you know Google is a for-profit entity, you may have heard, and uh, giving up revenue doesn't seem to be in their nature. Uh, so, you know, if I think about it from like a revenue standpoint, you know, the, you said AdSense, so that's of course Google's display network, not the uh, pay-per-click um, uh, where you're bidding on search words. Uh, you know, AdSense click-through rates are around 0.1%. Uh, maybe someone pays 75 cents for a click, so that means like a thousand impressions. If they block a thousand impressions, it costs them, I think, 75 cents. Uh, so if you expand that out, if they blocked a million impressions, it would only cost Google $750. So as I think about it, as I sort of walk through the numbers, it's probably not an economic question. It's more a question of how many bad ads that do people put out there? And so now you're getting into like a human nature question. Uh, so I tend to be an optimist. So I'm going to guess what I think is a low number. I'm going to say 500 million ads blocked. Insignificant revenue number for Google, like three hundred fifty thousand dollars. But I'm saying, you know, there's only that many bad ads out there. Uh, well, that's a, that's that's a good guess. And uh, one of the things I've been thinking about is I, I attended a, a conference not too long ago, and there was a panel on fake news and fake advertising. And the editor of Forbes was one of the uh, panelists, and the founder of Craigslist was one of the past. It was it was fascinating. So it's. Uh, uh, not only objectionable content, but, you know, I'm wondering if there's a you know true-false monitor somewhere in that uh, in that Google 
uh, process. But uh, uh, actually, um, you're way off because Google blocked 1.7 billion ads in 2016. So there are three times more bad people out there, more than that, than I, uh, than I imagined. Like I say, I'm an optimist. What can I tell you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, I'd wager that most of those 1.7 billion uh, were completely unwanted advertisements, <laughs> something that people wouldn't have looked at anyway, even if they had been displayed, uh, because they want something that speaks directly to them. And if they get that, they'll be responsive, and they won't even know they're being marketed to. They're, they'll just think you're, you're, uh, uh, you're being helpful. Well, it, it does make me a little curious as to what they are, but I have a funny feeling if I actually saw them, I would wish I had never seen them. So... <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, so that's it for this episode of Two Guys and Some Data. Uh, we'll be back with more tips that can help you use data to actually make money. In the meantime, if you're interested in reading more about customer expectations, check out our article, uh, With Great Amounts of Consumer Data Comes Great Responsibilities. Head on over to our website at navistone.com backslash blog. Uh, if you liked what you heard today, we encourage you also to head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I'm Larry Cavanaugh. And I'm Alan Abbott, and thanks for tuning in.